black thing go from left to right, and I thought, I'm going to die out here. No one's ever going to know. I couldn't believe what my eyeballs were showing me. I'll never forget how evil the eyes were. It was horrible. I mean, I've never seen nothing that evil. It ran towards me at a, at a rate that I, I I can't even explain. Turned and stared at me, and this look of I just want to kill you. I want to say it was human, but it wasn't. He was he was he was yelling at me to grab a gun, grab a gun. I was like, for what? He said, just grab a gun. And there's footprints all the way to the door of my house. It had went inside my garage, all the way to the door. 
that really got the excitement going around the house. People were going, wow, he's back to you already. But, uh, you know, I write every year, and I try to put a story into this uh, manuscript I've been doing. And I plan to self-publish it someday, you know. Uh, that seems to be the way to go these days. But these annual stories, they, usually they've got these unbelievable twists and uh, scary things happening anyway, but uh, never would have imagined that something like this would have happened. So, And I went on your website last night and looked on there, and I saw some one of your quotes, and if you don't mind me quoting you, you wrote, I never really believed in these creatures before. But this encounter deeply changed my life forever, and I boy did that strike a chord for me. <laughs> so yeah. I really like the fact that you created this uh, kind of a safe outlet for people like me to come on and you know discuss or share these unique experiences you called it, and I thought that was well worded too. So just allowing me to come forward without any fear of all like you know disbelief or reproach or. It's it's kind of refreshing to have your site to be able to do that. So yeah, of course, great thing. Yeah, and uh, one thing as I listened to your podcast, we just drove back from Florida and I listened to it all the way. <laughs> I liked your approach you, because you're such a good listener. Uh, you you didn't seem judgmental at all, you know, and that's kind of what I've been coming up against so far. Whenever I tell the story, so um, and looking through your podcast list i was amazed at that huge selection that you have available there and it, it makes me think that yeah there really must be something to all this uh, you know if you've got that many people out there reporting these things uh, and they're all a little different but they're really great to listen to and uh, and then when you hear it you can really think about it and i just got to say that I when I drive I get kind of sleepy and I'm I'm kind of a one to take those five hour energy drinks but man listen to these podcasts there's no better way to stay awake while you're driving long distance than way better than the five hour energy drinks. <laughs> well, I appreciate yeah. it. Thank you for the kind words. Yeah. All right, man. but so uh, you know every time I start to talk to anybody about this, it I get kind of going on my you know my chest. The breath quickens and my heart starts to race, and it's just because you know when you retell a story, it makes you relive it, and it's like going through it all over again. And you can probably hear that in my voice now. I'm already getting a little worked up, but you know it's just, and I could hear it in the voices of the people that uh, you interviewed on previous podcasts. That uh, and um, and uh, I bet you you kind of. As a good listener, you can hear that too. I'm sure. So, oh yeah, bear with me if I get a little. No, no, up, but, yeah. Uh, there's no reason to be nervous. It's just you and I, and uh, you know, it's um, you, you hit on something there, and I don't mean to cut you off, but you hit on something there. When when I when I talk to people, you know how many times I've spoken to people over the phone that don't want to come on the air, that break down in tears. Um, and I'm talking about, you know, not, you know, weak people. I'm talking about strong people you wouldn't expect to break down in tears. I mean, I, I've had judges break down in tears. I've had FBI agents break down in tears uh, as wow. they're recounting their story and or recounting what happened to them. 
Um, and mm-hmm. so, you know, it is, I try to create a safe place for people. You know, you always have your critics, you always have your, and I always wonder why they listen to the show. Uh, I always wish they'd go listen to some other show. Don't listen to my show anymore. Uh, go listen to some other show. Uh, if you're here to, to bash the witness or whatever, go listen to someone else's show. This isn't the show for you. Uh, but th- there's no reason to be nervous. And, and like I said, it's, um, I, I love hearing from hunters. Hunters are my favorite. Uh, people always ask me, you know, who's your favorite witnesses? Is, is it the is it the, the the judge? Is it the cop? Is it the um, the people of prominence? No, it's the hunters. Honestly, I love hearing from hunters because they're out there, and there's no BS with hunters. I've never been out uh, with hunters. There's no BS with hunters. They'll they will tell you what they saw. <laughs> And they may not come out and say it's, it was a Sasquatch, but they'll say, hey, it wasn't a man and it wasn't a bear. I don't know what it was. And so I love hunters. And so I really appreciate you being on. And there's no reason to be nervous at all. Okay. Yeah, well, it just the <laughs> nature of the beast here. I just uh, Anyway, I, uh, yeah, a little background. I was just, you know, I was in the mountains with my son this time. He was 23 years old and he really hadn't taken up hunting yet. He didn't have any preference points to draw an elk or deer tag is what we go for. And uh, so we got him a small game license, and he was hunting grouse. And uh, snowshoe rabbits were up in the area, so we were or, uh, thinking maybe he might have some luck with small game. And it was kind of a big area, so we bought him a GPS, and I wanted to make sure that he was safe, you know, because having been lost in the woods before and having talked to you about that a little bit, you know how scary that is. Uh, the days prior to GPS were a little more challenging when you actually had to have a compass and a map, And but sometimes those storms come in on you and darkness falls, and there you are. So... But so I didn't want that to happen to him. So I was trying to make sure that he was with me the whole time. And uh, you know, so anyway, we hunt up here about an hour and a half west of here is a town called Georgetown, and we go up uh, a road a pass called Guanella Pass, and a little town of uh, Grant and Bailey are on the backside of this pass. Uh, if you drive up this whole four-wheel drive road, it's the rocks coming up out of that road will definitely keep the tourists at bay and you can't just bring in any vehicle so we kind of pick our way up there very slowly and we found this great little campground up there just off this end of this old road and um, if you kept on going you'd hit Waldorf I was telling you about this old ghost town it's an old gold mining camp it's all ruins now made out of uh, the buildings made out of white quartz blocks and Really pretty neat up there. You're about 12,000 feet there. And our camp is around, around 11,000 feet. And we just set up a tent, or two tents if there's a couple of us. And we do everything on foot. And, you know, if we happen to get lucky and get any animals down, then, you know, we pack those out on our backs. We don't have four-wheelers or horses, so we're kind of doing it ourselves. And this was kind of neat uh, we've always uh, my best friend doug who is my hunting partner since the 90s and my name's doug so we call ourselves the doug and doug show when we hit the <laughs> hit the trees <laughs> yeah so uh he's the great one of the greatest guys i've ever met he's like a brother and he's just really super enthusiastic about everything and uh 
like the first time I went with fishing with him, uh, the game was on. You could just tell that we were going to be friends forever. So he kind of got me into it. I, I was more of a fisherman prior to the, you know, the hunting uh, part of my life. But uh, my wife's dad, Jack, was this old French Canadian up in northern Wisconsin, and he was a bow hunter, you know, for whitetails up there, and he talked me into getting a bow. And so my first eight years hunting in Colorado were with a bow that he helped me, you know, get all the uh, equipment for and helped me learn how to shoot it well. And I never got a darn thing, but, you know, I got a few shots off and some great stories. But uh, what a, you know, great education that is, packing a bow around. Talk about having to get close. That's really... Anyway... So, uh, yeah, it was uh, 2011, and uh, September, that second week of September is our elk and deer uh, season. The muzzle loader is what we decided to finally go to. We went from bows to centerfire rifles, and that seemed like it was too easy. After getting a couple of elk, we decided to make it a little more challenging. We went to the single-shot muzzle loaders, and these old Hawkins-style uh, 50 calibers are kind of a challenge they don't always go off when you pull the trigger you know sometimes you just hear a pop and it doesn't ignite you know <laughs> and so that's happened quite a few times so it is challenging all the planning and time you spend getting up there and packing in and getting there and in the spot and to have uh, a misfire like that's kind of disheartening but it's all part of the the challenge and we do and we love it so Here's my son Gabe along with us, and he he and I were sticking together. And so Doug was in camp with his uh, one of his partners in a tree service, the ground crew guy named Matt. Okay, and those two guys were out. Matt was bow hunting, and Doug was the muzzle loader. And uh, and my buddy Doug had to leave early out of camp, get back to Denver. And his son had a soccer game, so he was the coach, and he had to get back down. So. Doug was not there when this all happened, but uh, Matt was up on top bow hunting when Gabe and I spent two days in the field, long days, uh, saw a lot of elk, but always the wrong sex, you know, or saw deer, which we didn't have tags for, and Gabe pressed the ridge tops. He's like a billy goat, you know, being young and youthful, you got all that energy. He could fly up the mountain. You know, I could see him just cruising up there looking for grouse. So we had a good time just checking everything out. We'd come back to camp that first night, and then the next day we started at 4 a.m. and drank coffee, talk, talked about our plan. We decided to try a different route this second day into some new country. And we saw a lot of fresh signs, so we knew that might be a good way to go. And as we went that day, we really got into some thick, elky uh tracks and wallows it was pretty amazing uh we were getting excited and went on for miles through this uh kind of deep dark elky part of the the plot that we were hunting and we uh kind of took a nap <laughs> you know you know how you get kind of burned out in the middle of the day you're kind of like oh i need a nap and we, that does help refresh you so after doing that uh he decided to go up on the ridge again and look for more grouse, and I could see him go up, and I just kept a constant vigil over the the meadow I was sitting on and waited for him to come back down. He had seen 
quite a few marmot. Didn't see any grouse, but um, as it got later, 3 o'clock, he came down, and uh, we said, well, you know, it's time for us to kind of press back. I want to get back to camp with you using, and watch you use your GPS, make sure you know how to get back to camp. There were no trails leading into camp. Camp is in the middle of the forest, and so pretty tough to find without a GPS. So we did the work and got back down through the timber and we made it back about four or five o'clock. So we, you know, we'd been out there for about hmm, 14 hours or something. And we were uh, pretty tired, but we got back to camp safely and uh, it was a good ending to a day. And we're dropping those heavy packs off. That always feels so good. Throw down your rifle and take off all those layers, you know. So we guzzled some vitamin drinks and got our fluids replenished. And like we always do at the end of a day, uh, we want to discharge those muzzle loaders because, you know, that powder will absorb any moisture out of the atmosphere. And sometimes you, if you don't change it out the next morning, you're going to have a dud. <clears throat> so I put up a target there in camp and checked to make sure the uh, you know the sights were still on. And after the concussion, you know, the smoke clear, I could see the rifle was still on. And then Gabe was kind of anxious to get some practice in, so he had this shotgun that I'd given him, and he shot at an old tin can a couple times. And then we thought, well, if you're shooting grouse, let's try a plastic bottle up in the air. So we threw that thing a dozen times in the air. And, he hit it a few times. It was pretty great. I said, well, good, then you're ready. Okay, so we swabbed out the barrel with the cleaner and, you know, packed them away for the night. And then a few raindrops started speckling the ground, and here we are in September. That's not the rainy season here. That's usually, like, now in May and um, uh, June sometimes. So uh, we were kind of, oh, well, it's going to rain, so the sky was darkening, and we realized maybe this sprinkling wasn't going to stop or blow over anytime soon looking at the sky. So we just, uh, you know, like I wrote in there, little did we know that that impending rainstorm, man, that was the least of our worries. So he said, well, here it comes. And he said, I'm going to cover the wood pile, he said. And I said, well, get your gear and let's get in the tent because it's going to let loose. And we got in that tent and started zipping things up and, that rain increased, increased, and the downpour came. And that's pretty rare that it rains that hard. Uh, we couldn't believe how loud it was in the tent, just coming down. And um, we were glad to not be outside on the mountainside, which Matt was. So we kind of thought of him up there on the mountaintop getting hammered in that rain. But So we kicked back on the cot, and the sound, that loud sound of that rain hitting the top of the tent was just deafening. But, so I looked over and Gabe put his iPod earpieces in, and he laid back, resting his eyes. And the sound of all that deluge outside kind of just made it, like, really ideal for catching up on some shut-eye. So, you know, I think we were both due for a cat nap. So we slipped into this uh, well-needed naps, and I was really relaxed as the rain fell and i don't know how long we were out like that but we awoke suddenly to a loud whack and i just opened my eyes to, in time to hear the zip as this um, smack on the top of the 
tent, the ceiling up at the top, which is about seven feet up. You can stand up in the tent. And the force caused, you know, the fabric to conform around whatever object it was during the storm outside. And it was almost like nighttime outside. And, you know, it was still daylight out, but it was so dark. It was about the diameter of a catcher's mitt slipping off the top of the, the ceiling there. And this, it's pushed in about six, eight inches down into the the tent and the bulge disappeared. I heard that zipping sound that almost like you, when you rub nylon together and you slip off it and, uh, Gabe sat up and that had been just above his head. And he whispered to me, what the hell was that? And, uh, I just kind of shrugged my shoulders and like, I don't know. And we laid there and a uh, first sense of alarm went off and I, I just couldn't quite think of what would be hitting the tent in broad daylight in the middle of a downpour like it was i thought maybe well maybe it was a bird flying through the forest and in that storm and hit the tent or or just a huge pine cone maybe had fallen out of the tree or a branch but there was nothing still on the roof so we were kind of groggy still and uh we didn't feel any real sense of urgency i listened to see if there was a bird flapping around on the ground outside the tent didn't hear anything else that impact uh was uh just about if you were standing up it would have been right about eye level you know um, so we settled back onto the cots and kind of looked at each other kind of slowly closed our eyes and dismissed that incident i guess just for a little more sleep and the sound of that rain again is sort of soothing and fell asleep again it wasn't too long later whack and this time the impact slapped onto the east side of the tent ceiling and it was all identical to the first one again you could hear it kind of zip off the top and and then i thought what are the odds that two birds could have you know made some poor aviation judgments like that and then knowing that it, you know it wasn't just some errant bird crashing into a tent i started thinking well maybe it's something else first thing i thought maybe it was mad out there hunting and he had maybe returned to do a practical joke on us right or uh, I thought then if it wasn't him, then maybe it was a bear. Thinking that maybe if it was a bear, I thought, oh, gosh, you know, we had our packs, but uh, we didn't have any food in them, and we had no food in the tent, and we were always really careful about that. You know, you don't want to attract bears into your camp, with, especially into your tent, because they will come in your tent if you have food in there. And we've learned that over the years you got to be really vigilant about that and um you can put food in your vehicles you can hang it in trees you know and if that's done right that can work but never in your tent and um they can find it wherever it is they're good climbers you know and if you hang it on a rope up in a tree they, they can even problem solve and you know tightrope walk across that to get at it but here it was, kind of broad daylight, and I, I kind of doubted that a bear would be out there in open daylight like that, you know, searching for food. Usually they come at night. I was in camp at a different camp one time when uh, the full moon was out, and I'm laying there. I had no food in my tent, but I heard some snuffling, and I looked over, and on the tent wall was a perfect silhouette of a of a bear 
just, and it was only three or four feet away from me. Oh, wow. And I just kind of froze up and didn't want, didn't say a word and watched him and heard him walk around the tent, uh, woofing and grunting and snuffling under the edge of the tent. Uh, luckily there was no food in there, so he did finally leave, but he did that three nights in a row. And by the fourth night, I was just, I'd had it. I decided to scream at him, scare him off. And when I did, I had no voice. I screamed with all my might, and it came out like a whisper. It was the weirdest thing. It was just a little squeak, squeak, and the, the sound of my squeaking voice scared this thing off. I could hear him running. <laughs> he, uh, was, but bears are nothing to mess with. I mean, you got to be really careful. And um, So anyway, Matt was the one I thought it might be, and Gabe called out, ha-ha, very funny, Matt, you know, and I kind of listened to see if there was some kind of a snicker or a giggle or something outside. But you got to remember, the rain is still pouring here, and it's really loud, and we couldn't hear anything, no laughing, no sound except that rain. And then Gabe, I figured his vocalization, if it was a bear, would have sent, you know, the bear running off, and there was no sound of a bear running off. I never heard any snuffling grunts or snorts or anything, or, you know, that heavy breathing that bears make. Well, um, I thought, well, if it's a bear, it's, to hit that high on the tent, it would have to be standing way up on its hind legs. It'd have to be a huge bear. And the base of my tent is wider than the top, so it angles down and outward. So if there were no you know, footprints on the base of the tent area, so whatever it was was standing outside the base of the tent reaching all the way to the center of the top, which I figure was the base is probably 10 feet wide. So it had to reach in like five feet from its up upright stand to, to touch the top of the tent. Um, I also figured if a bear, if it was a bear, maybe the claws probably would have hooked that thin nylon and maybe yeah, snagged it think. or ripped the material or something yeah. uh, when it pulled its paw off. But so now we'd had these two thumps on the tent, and I started feeling like we better be quiet. And I just kind of did that signal to Gabe, like finger on the lips, like don't don't say anything else. And so uh, don't let them know that we're inside. But you know, a bear would have been able to smell us anyway. Uh, so I just kind of decided to just say nothing and just see what happens. And that tent was zipped up tight, and we, you know, we do that so we don't get any anybody who might travel through camp and gawking into the tent, you know, and we, we zip everything up good, but um, nothing worse than, you know, going out in the field for the day and having left the, the window unzipped a little bit and come back after a rainstorm or a snowstorm and find all your sleeping gear and sleeping bags and stuff soaking wet. I've done that. So yeah. anyway, this time we were closed up tight. Hey, and I thought about maybe unzipping a window see what was out there in that rain. So dark, though, I don't think I would have been able to see much. But in doing so, I probably would have scared it off. But And I was thinking, could it be my buddy Doug? You know, did he return from Denver or something? But his truck was gone, and so I knew it couldn't have been him. So at that point, I was still thinking maybe it was Matt messing with us. So we kind of laid back and closed my eyes and Gabe did too and it's probably 10 
15 minutes later, whack, on the top of the tent again, man, a third strike, just boom. And this time I was awake in a hurry, and I saw the impression, saw it zip off the top, and it hit the top of the tent on a third panel, a different panel. And I thought, oh, this has to be a bear, you know, it's this persistent. I thought, I just better wait and see and see what... And my gun was not loaded, and Gabe had that 410 shotgun, but I didn't think those little pellets would help much, uh, you know. So we were both awake and kind of felt like the tent was starting to shrink, you know. And so, and then I was, who in their right mind, if it's not, you know, if it's not a bear, if it is a total stranger or something, who would dare come into a camp of hunters, you know, and start whacking on the tent? You know, these guys might, you know, these hunters could very likely be armed. And so you'd think that an average person if thinking about doing that would maybe think twice before doing something risky like that. They, uh, you know, wouldn't you, if you were entering a campsite of hunters, you'd probably call out as you came into camp just to let everybody know that you were there. You might say, anybody home or you want to, uh, you might, you know, want them to not overreact and maybe shoot you try to defend themselves. Yeah, you're right. So anyway, that that's what's pouring through my mind at the time, and I'm thinking, well, why would a bear be out? Maybe, you know, if their smell's really well-developed, and you know, I've read a lot about bears, heard a lot of bear tales, and wouldn't they be able to smell us inside the tent? And you'd think that'd be enough to have them not come near. But, um, so we had hiked pretty hard that day, and, yeah, we had to smell like humans, you know. And even our firearms were inside the tent, and you'd think a bear would probably easily be able to smell that uh, gunpowder, and that, that that would alarm them. But why, you know, why would it be standing up, you know, like that, trying to smack just the top of the tent? And, uh, you know, I think a bear would probably root around the base first, you know, like uh, like I've seen them do. And if it was a bear, it was definitely a black bear, not a not a grizzly. Because you know, I think you probably, I don't know if you've read about the grizzlies here. We probably used to have them, but uh, there are no more grizzlies here. The last one was being killed back in the, the 70s by a hunter on horseback uh, in the San Juan Mountains down south. And, uh, you know, I was thinking, Yeah, and you would think if it was a bear, too, it would fall into the tent. It wouldn't just smack it with its hands. It would actually fall into the tent uh, yeah, because it's so top-heavy. Yeah, fall forward yeah, into the wall. Yeah, exactly. You know, and um, I used to be a river guide on the Snake River up in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, for about 15 years, and uh, had a lot of stories there. If, uh, up in Yellowstone, while I was there, uh, a fellow from Wisconsin back in 19... 19- 86 uh, a grizzly actually opened up his tent wall reached in and grabbed him in his sleeping bag and dragged it outside and then mauled him and then uh, by the time they got some rescuers to him they found him he was he had been partially eaten and investigating it further they they came to the conclusion that he uh, had uh, fixed dinner he made some bacon and eggs and the bacon had splattered on his clothes and he went to bed in the same clothes and you know grizzlies love bacon yeah and i'm sure black bears do too but 
you know, I don't think black bears are known to tear people out of their No, tent, not usually. Black bears are usually more skittish than grizzly yeah. bears. They're not as ballsy as, as grizzly bears. So you guys hear the smack. You think it's your buddy Matt who's still hunting uh, coming up and messing with you guys. And then what what happens next? Um, you know, yeah, and a bear, if you're going to be attacked by a bear, most black bears, it's if you corner them or you startle them or if it's a sow, you know, with cubs, then that's probably where you're going to have most black bear attacks. So um, I, I wasn't convinced, yeah, that these were caused by a bear. So what was it? Like you say, I think I was kind of thinking mad still. And uh, so the rain fell for a little while longer, and then it stopped. And a storm blew over, sun came out, skies cleared, and Gabe was awake, and uh, I was kind of coming awake too. And uh, we, Gabe decided, I'm going to get up and get a fire going. So he, he got his coat on, went out, took the top off the wood and got a good one going. He, he always did love to build fires as a kid, so... He could get a fire going quickly, as, you know, a lot of kids are good at that. Yeah. Um, so he had this fire going on. So I I got my coat and went out and pulled up a chair and joined him and sat there around the campfire. Felt pretty good because things had cooled off quite a bit. And you're just kind of sitting there staring at the flames. You know how fires can kind of mesmerize you. So I'm trying to sort out the events of what had just you know, transpired and trying to reflect about it and uh, weren't saying much about it, just sort of thinking. But uh, we sat there and we noticed some movement up in the trees, uphill from camp. And up on the mountainside, we could still see a portion of the trail up there. And we watched Matt coming down off the mountainside and he was marching down that trail he, the cirque he was in was about an hour's hike up above, so he was getting close to camp, and uh, we could see him, recognized his camo gear, and he was carrying a bow. Um, you know, here in Colorado, muzzleloader season overlaps with archery season, so bow hunters get the first crack at it, just like it probably should be, and then as we got closer, you could see this big smile on his face, so you knew something was up, and he comes strolling into camp, and he comes around the tent and comes over to the fire ring and he slings off his gear and he starts just right away telling us all about what had just happened for him. And it was pretty obvious he was excited because he just had a, uh, a close encounter with some deer. And he was up there, he saw the deer, and he got a shot at it. And the deer sidestepped the arrow, missed it, but it didn't run. So he was able to get a second arrow on when he took the shot, it jumped and he thought maybe he'd hit it, but it ran off. And so he started flagging the little trees and stuff nearby to mark his, the deer's path and the spot where he shot from. And he thought, okay, he was stuck in that rainstorm then too. So he, he decided to hike back to camp and come back in the morning and see if he could find the, the deer or any sign that he'd hit it, you know, get it overnight. To, and so he, here I <laughs> looking at him. It was pretty neat to see him be so excited, and yeah, you, you sure that this kid was just hooked, you know? And he was pretty um, 
involved in his telling of his story and i kind of had a grin on my face and he starts rattling off of these details and we're asking him questions and i'm looking at him and behind him from where i was looking i was looking at him the tent was behind him uh, you know off 10 15 uh, yards away and um yeah, so this is where the story kind of goes a little more surreal um and uh you know i said in my story i'd put a hand on the bible if that meant you'd believe me but uh i looked at him i said so did what uh you know what did you do when uh you know when the shot when you took the shot did it feel like the shot and he starts talking and i'm looking at him and then i realize my view of him i see this movement through the trees behind the tent going from right to left um so i immediately locked onto that and i could see this broad back figure slipping through the trees really tall and uh, it was a uh, light gray and that really caught my eye because we're always looking for deer and the big timber bucks turn gray you know when they're younger they're more of a cinnamon brown color and um i kind of whoa i said what the and i looked and it now was kind of past the trees and starting quartering away from me and i looked and that's when i really noticed that the its shape i could see its v-shaped uh, physique man it had this really broad muscular shoulders and it came down very narrowly to it, its lower back and the gray hair on its head continued without any break, right down onto its neck, right then down onto its massive shoulders and its back. And and I thought that was really weird because people up here during the hunting seasons don't go around without shirts on, you know. And, you know, people wear vests, orange jackets, and when you're hunting in the high country, and this being wore nothing, you know. It was, and it was quartering away. I, I, I didn't see its face but I saw its arms and shoulder and back and head. And it, uh, Matt saw my eyes shift away from his eyes when he was telling the story, and he cocked his head over for a quick view to see what I was looking at. The thing had already gone below the horizon line. I jumped up, he stopped talking, and I took off, and he followed me. And I think he thought we were going after a deer or something, so he didn't say much. He just followed me, and I took off. I hustled, and I ran up that bank, past the tent, down the draw, over around the, to the left side into the woods where I was seen it heading, and Matt was right behind me. We swung down, and I think we probably got 30, 50 yards down where it should have been coming through, and we moved in to have a look around and stood there and heard nothing after a couple of minutes it was pretty clear that whatever it was had passed on by and it had to be traveling pretty fast to elude us like that i don't think it saw us coming so maybe it heard us but we got over there really quickly hoping to get another look at it but we walked slowly all the way up to the very place where, you know, it had slipped through those trees when I initially saw it. We walked our way around looking on the ground for any footprints and didn't find anything because there was like foot deep forest duff, you know, the pine needles and pine cone seeds and things that had built 
built up over decades probably. So walking back, I thought it was kind of funny because Matt was going, what were we chasing? You know, and I'm going, I don't know. You know, and whatever it was, it was, you know, standing straight up. And he kind of really, because he thought maybe we're, you know, going after a deer or an elk or something. But we came back to camp and tried to explain to Gabe back there what we just chased after. And uh, Matt and Gabe hadn't seen what I did. So they weren't freaked out by my sighting. But, you know, my mind was just kind of... I couldn't fit it in, you know, I don't know if you've, I, I read about just a little blurb about your sighting, and I don't know how you felt right after it, uh, if you were like, okay, what do I do with that, you know, have you ever been kind of, how'd you feel after you, your sighting was back, what, in 2014 or something? Uh, 2012, confused and fright, frightened, I would say. Uh, because it wasn't running away from us. It was anything but running away from us. But I, w- I would say confused and frightened. I would say are the, the two biggest feelings I had at the time. Um, how was far... It, or go ahead. Oh, was it the last thing you probably actually expected to see? And so... Oh, yeah, of you, course. Yeah, no, I, okay, I wasn't then. thinking Bigfoot at the time. I was thinking <laughs> we just ran into monsters is what oh, I thought. God. Um, I, I didn't even think Bigfoot at the time. I really thought we would run into monsters. Um, and so, yeah, it's just confusion, just complete confusion on what is going on. Um, and there is that moment, uh, your situation is a little bit different because it was retreating our situation. They weren't retreating. Um, but there's definitely confusion. There's fright and not really, it's almost surreal. You're, you're not really sure what's going on. Like, is this real? Is this reality? Is this, you know, it, it's hard to explain, I guess, uh, to, yeah. to the listeners until you see it. Uh, because you're, you're like, okay, that's not a bear. That's not a man. I don't know what that thing is. It's not a gorilla. Um, I don't know what that thing is. I really don't have any explanation for it. And that's kind of how, how I felt. Tall, that. How tall were the beings you saw the one that we saw um the biggest one the rest of them weren't this big but the biggest one i would say was about nine feet tall um which was huge um and you know he was you know i don't want to interrupt it interrupt your encounter with mine but it it was very much terrifying i was i was terrified and there's not much on this planet that terrifies me. I mean, I, I've seen yeah. ugly things that people do. I've seen ugly things that animals do. I mean, and this was something different. This was something I'd never experienced before. I'd never seen anything that big before. And it was terrifying. It was terrifying, I guess, more or less for the size, the way they're reacting. Um, that's what terrified me the most. But if I had to sum it up all in one word, I'd say confusion. Complete yeah. confusion on what was going on and what this thing is, and um, how far away from you was this thing as it was retreating away from? Uh, no more than thirty yards. And uh, you know, I I have pretty good vision. Probably the last time I checked, it was twenty fifteen. You know, so I can see long distance clear. I can still see deer way out. You know, hundred two hundred yards out, enough to use iron sights on the muzzle loader. So. I know what I saw. It was as clear as a bell, perfect focus, and I could clearly see the hair, con- you know, continuation on its head 
down its neck, you know, which I found kind of interesting, and right onto its back. And the gray, I kind of thought, wow, that must be an old one or something, you know, like it, it was already getting up there in years, or I don't know how old these things will get, but um, it wasn't, you know, you usually hear about black and or maybe red, long red hair or something, but this is all about the same length hair, and it was mostly, there was some black uh, undertones on its back and stuff, but a lot of gray mixed in, and uh, so you're talking... I didn't know what to think about it, and and I don't think he was threatening us. He was kind of messing with us, I think, in the tent, you know, and then he kind of retreated. So I didn't feel that fear, and but I did not know how to, you know, file it away in my mind because it didn't make any sense. And so kind of, I think I got kind of quiet, you know, and around the campfire that night. I just, I really didn't know what to do with that, you know. And, and now for six years later, I'm still not sure what to do with it. That's why I'm kind of glad that I'm able to get it out there and just at least tell you what I saw and what, what I've been thinking and kind of going through these years. But um, a lot of people, oh, yeah, when I tell people, they go, what drugs were you taking or what were you drinking? You know, <laughs> that always comes up. You probably heard that too. Oh, yeah. And you know, both of those answers, I say nothing, but uh, uh, like this one, you know, you after you hear this account, people will say, what? Ask me if I was seeing things and say, yeah, I guess I was. Yeah. More accurately, I was a seeing thing. You know? but, uh, yeah. Well, you, if you're talking 30 feet one, or 30 yards away, that's roughly what, about yeah. 90 feet. Um, that's yeah. pretty close. And for it to be kind of retreating back, um, into the woods. I'm curious, now that you've had time to think about uh, what happened, uh, why do you think it was smack in the tent? I don't know. It chose that time during the, the heaviest rainstorm we've ever seen up there in 20 years. Uh, and as dark as it was outside, you know, it kind of had that cover to move in. And I think maybe because we were shooting earlier, uh, I, I took the muzzleloader shot, and then Gabe took maybe two shotgun blasts, and then he had a, this little 410 that we were, you know, plinking at the plastic bottle in the air with. I I think that maybe that, uh, you know, how I've read and seen a lot of shows, hunting shows and stuff, where and, and, you know, they always talk about the bears, like up in Alaska, being attracted to the sound of gunshots, and it's almost like ringing a dinner bell. You know, they come in quickly because they think, you know, they hear the shot and think maybe they can come in and claim a fresh carcass, you know, like an easy meal or something. And if uh, they, maybe they can even tell the difference between, uh, you know, a, a centerfile rifle shot and a shotgun sound. And the shotguns usually would be used for birds. And um, maybe they like the small game, you know, I bet they, you know, pick up lost birds or lost rabbits or things that people can't find in the brush maybe yeah i would think that they're probably uh, have, i don't know i'm no expert on them but are do you, are they meat eaters or plant eaters or uh, omnivores yeah the, re do, the do reports i get are, are both um i've gotten both that they eat both uh depending on the witnesses you talk to but i've seen witnesses i've talked to witnesses i've had them on the show that have seen them run deer down. Um, I've talked to really? guys in federal law enforcement 
the FBI agent down there in Texas. He's uh, he wouldn't come on the show because of his career, but uh, he saw them chase down wild hogs and grab them, smash them up against a tree, rip them open, and two of them sit down and start eating right there no from the way. wild hog. And so. I think that they eat both. You know, it's it smacking on the tent reminds me so much of people's encounters when they talk about these things smacking against their home. And I almost think, I don't know if it's boredom, I don't know if it's really anger or what the intent is, but you hear them do that against people's home where they'll walk up, smack it, and then kind of retreat, come back five or ten minutes later, smack it again, retreat, and you hear that behavior over and over and over again with people's wow. homes. Um, and then here you're in a tent, and you're experiencing the same behavior. Yeah, well, well whatever it was, I had to know that we were there, I think. Do you think they have a pretty well-pronounced uh, sense of smell, like a bear would have? Uh, I, I think, think so. I think they tend to watch. In, in your situation, if I were to guess, uh, you know, when you have three guys show up, it kind of changes the game a little bit. Uh, I mean, now it's three against one, even though it could probably rip all three of you from limb to limb. Uh, it changes It changes the game, I think, with these things. I think when you show up with a group of people, they'll tend to leave. And if there's one or two guys, you might have an encounter. If you're by yourself, you're probably going to have an encounter with these things. Uh, but the moment you start bringing in two, three guys, everyone's armed. I probably figured it's time to go at this point. When you when you saw the creature retreating, how would you compare it to the Patterson Gimlin film? Uh, yeah, the way it was kind of just strolling through, it was uh, it was traveling right to left through uh, the lodgepole pines, you know, kind of in front of them and behind them, traveling between the trees, just kind of strolling, you know, swinging. A, Arms are swinging, long footsteps, and then it kind of turned a quartering away, and I could see its head and shoulders and back clearly as it before it kind of sunk down below the thing. I think it was, I felt like maybe it was being kind of territorial or something and kind of warning us, like by whacking on the tent, saying, Hey, I'm here, you know. Um, yeah, that uh, could be. And then. Uh, when Matt came walking through there, he might, I'm thinking he must have walked right past it, you know, to get into camp because it was probably still on behind the tent back there in the trees. And when Matt walked through there and then it took off. So when I looked up at, I could see the tent, it kind of traveled behind the tent, you know, 30 yards back in the trees and down and away. And I'm kind of surprised that after seeing that, I'm, I'm still. I'm surprised I kind of went after it. I don't know what I was thinking, but I think I just wanted to confirm that, yeah, that's what I saw or, you know, um, try to cut it off and get a better look at it and see if that's truly what I saw, you know, because I couldn't believe what I saw. So I still can't. But. Yeah, and that says a lot to that. I was going to ask you what compelled you to get up and go after this thing. I don't know. Go chase it. <laughs> I don't but. know. You know, because I, I didn't, I wasn't feeling fear. I guess yeah. if I was, if it had really been howling and throwing rocks and stuff, and you know, shaking the tent and kind of, I'm sure I wouldn't have gone after it. But it was just sort of messing with us, you know. I think, and it, the lure of the gunshots, I think, might have been because it wasn't long after that that you know, the, it started on the tent. 
And I imagine, you know, these things are huge, and so they they must need a huge source of protein and calories, like thousands of calories a day to, you know, sustain that size. So, uh, yeah, you know, you wonder, what are they eating out there, you know? Yeah. Something like, something like a, a loss, you know, if you hit a deer and you can't find it, that would be a huge find for them. Well, and you hear a lot of times, Doug, hunters talk about that, uh, where they'll shoot something, they know they've shot it, they know it's a kill shot, they'll follow the blood trail in, and then the deer, they can tell the deer laid down right there, or the elk laid down right there, and then it's gone. It's just like something picked up and walked off with it. And so I, I think that they do do the same thing as as you were talking about earlier with the grizzlies. Uh, the grizzlies wait for the gunshots to go off, and then they know they got a qu- quick, easy meal. Uh, it's easy pickings. I've I've talked to so many hunters, uh, even one here in Washington State that uh, he was he's a poacher, but he was out there and he said a gorilla picked up his elk and walked off with it. And the elk out here in Washington State, I've said this a million times on the show before. They're like small horses, man. You don't pick up an elk and walk off with it. You just don't. Oh, no. Um, no, you can't even roll it over. It's, no, uh, they're, they're nine hundred pounds. You know? I wanted to ask you with regard to this, did. Did you guys pack up and leave, or did you guys stay for the rest of the trip? No, we stayed, and, uh, you know, it's kind of like, and and I'm still wondering why on earth, why would we go back there? And I think it's because we didn't feel fear. You know, I never felt the fear, but I was really puzzled, but I didn't feel afraid. And uh, we've been back there every year since, but, I boy, I keep my eyes peeled. Always looking at my back trail, you know, and uh, you gotta, you never, you never know what you're gonna see out there. So, yeah, and I have a feeling that, you know, uh, I think I was talking to you earlier about walking along in maybe at dusk or twilight or even in the dark when you're heading up to the higher country from your camp, you just get this uh, kind of an impending feeling of like. Not doom, but like something's watching me, and uh, the hairs will stand on your arms, and the you know the, the shivers and tingles will go up your spine, and you're just wondering, whoa! And you stop in your tracks, and you really look around you, and you're thinking, well, I don't see anything, but whoa. that doesn't mean there it, it isn't there, you know. Um, yeah, and it's I funny you mentioned that because when I was hunting, as you and I were talking, uh, I've had that before. Uh, when I was out hunting yeah. and you don't really, you don't know where to place it because you always kind of look around for a cougar. You look around for a bear, uh, your yep. normal predators and there's nothing around there. And, you know, I was never afraid of the dark. I was never afraid of, uh, if I had my gun on me, I wasn't afraid of anything. Uh, I would right. go to toe to toe with anything out there, but you do get that weird, uh, when you're out there, you do get that weird from time to time. Like something's watching me, something's, and you can't really place it. You can't really, you know, so you tend to brush it off, and I think a lot of hunters do that. Yeah, um, yeah. Do we have a sixth sense, or is it uh, is it really? We must, right, to be able to get that feeling. But I imagine I felt that when there was nothing there, just you know, your mind running away with you. But after you see something like this, and you realize it's more than just cougars and bears out there. Um, you get that feeling. You got to, you got to listen to it. You know. 
Did you ever talk to your your hunting buddies? Did you tell them what you saw? Oh yes, yep. And they, well, Doug, my best bud, uh, he he returned that that evening, and I told him the story, and he, hmm, you know, he didn't really react to it. He must, <laughs> I don't know what he thought. And we talked about it a couple times since. So I'm sure he still. I, it's something about not seeing it yourself, you know, you just, yeah, okay. But I did really want to know about Matt, you know. I always kind of had Matt in the back of my mind. And just uh, about two years ago, I called Matt. He is no longer hunts with us, but uh, he still kind of goes up on his own sometimes. And uh, I just said, hey, Matt, you know, just I'm writing this story and your name's come up. I want you to know that I'm using your name in this story. And I, I kind of read him some excerpts from it, just seeing that you would agree with that. If does that sound accurate and yeah. And so, but I said, okay, you didn't see it, but um, I just need to know it on, you know, if you were to, you know, swear on a Bible or could you honestly tell me that it was not you that was, you know, pranking us in the tent, and he says, nope, it wasn't me, you know, and uh, swore up and down that he was up on that mountaintop, in which we saw him come down from later anyway, so, yeah, so that kind of cleared my mind of Matt. I was able to write him out of that formula, and so. Yeah, and Matt doesn't make sense. You think Matt would say, hey, guys, I was screwing with you guys. You know, I mean, when you're pranking someone, and there's a lot of pranking that goes on with hunters, and there's a lot of, um, you know, kind of like brother type relationships where you torment each other. Uh, but the end game is to get a good laugh and say, yeah, it was me. Um, and for him never to say that to you, I mean, that's kind of, um, I can understand why you would ask him, though, because it's always still in the back of your mind. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I had to know. And he, I, I believe he told me the truth. And so even if it had been him whacking the tent, it doesn't... Uh, take away what I saw walking through the timber there. And, um, I'm glad it was walking away <laughs> from yeah. what you say. Uh, it could have been a lot different. You know, he was, it wasn't an attack or wasn't aggression. Yeah. I guess podcast where they're throwing rocks and that sounds about as scary as it can get. You know, they're moving in on you and all of a sudden the rocks come flying and the howling and the, Oh, tree break branch breaking and oh how you know i don't know yeah and it seems like with hunters sometimes when they come into your camp like that like the teddy roosevelt story uh where it came in it was tormenting these guys basically i think it was i i tend to agree with you it might have been territorial uh but it was coming in messing with these guys wanting them to move along they didn't move along. They didn't move along. And I think it was day two or day three, they ended up taking a shot at this thing, or his buddy did. And uh, one of the guys lost their lives. But maybe it is territorial that they come in like that. And I'm, I'm just glad you got a, gla- you know, got a glance at what's out there. You know, it changes your mind when you go out now when you're hunting. It's not so much cougars and deer and elk and bear. You realize there's more out there than just the known animals. Yep. And a lot of people ask me, did you get a picture of it? And uh, of course, even if you had, if I had had a camera or a phone on me, I will probably wouldn't have had time to take a picture of it, but it's been in my mind for all this time. And uh, I, 
I'm a painter and I do canvas work with oils and acrylics and things. So I decided to paint a canvas of it from my mind's eye and uh, it actually turned out pretty good. I, I, my wife took a photo of it and sent it to you on your, on your cell phone number. So I don't know if you had a chance to look at that yet, but every time I look at the thing, it just like, Oh God. Yeah. I don't, did you happen to get that? No, I don't think no. I did. Could, could you have her resend it to me or maybe email, yeah. email it to me? I will do that again. You bet. And, yeah. I'd like to hear what you think of that. <laughs> I wanted uh, to ask uh, you, did did it look more human-like or did it look more ape-like as it walked off? I guess it's kind of an odd question, but... Um, it was not knuckle-walking, but uh, I kind of had a an impression of, uh, of a, a odd similarity with color and shape of a... Uh, you know, a, a silverback gorilla, kind of that that same huge back. You know, with the the hair length and the color, and the, yet it was quite tall, so it was standing perfectly upright. But uh, so it wasn't like throwing its knuckles down and swinging its lower legs underneath or anything like that. Uh, it was on two feet, walking through. The kind of the small ears out on the side. Uh, I kind of wish it had turned around. That would have probably really startled me. But um, I, um, what I painted here is exactly what I saw, and uh, I thought it came out pretty good. And so, as far as having a photo of it, this is my photo, and uh, yeah, I'd like to get. And that's that. understandable. I mean, See when you're you in those think. situations, you're not thinking, "Hey, I'm going to break out the camera and start no. snapping pictures." No. It's not what's on your mind. Um, right, and most people who I run think. into these things—that's not what's. On. I've had researchers that had cameras around their neck uh, that have run into them and never, never thought for two seconds to snap a picture. Uh, I mean, you think out of anyone, they would be the ones uh. to snap a picture, and they don't. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and even videos and photos of them doesn't prove much to a lot of people anyway. So, you know, um, yeah, seems like that's not. Uh, the evidence people are looking for, you know, the, they'd probably rather have a body or something, but uh, I didn't have a gun and I probably wouldn't have shot at it anyway because it wasn't threatening us. But um, Do you still hunt? Oh, yes. And uh, my son is still coming up with me now, so now he's older and he's, I ha got lucky. It's been quite a few years, but I finally got a bull elk last year and uh, Oh, My nice. family just loves venison, so it helps uh, cut down on the food costs. <laughs> there you and go. My, and then uh, my son, the uh, following day, after helping me haul that out, he wound up getting a, a buck deer the following day, and I helped him haul that out. So that was a pretty great time. So we we love it. Just getting up in the mountains is so great. But like I say, uh, it's kind of changed a little bit, and... I go in with my eyes wide open and uh, keep glancing back on my back trail and make, yeah. you know, you, all you can do you. is just kind of be careful and not uh, try to get yourself. I, I really, I like the idea of staying with other people. That, that's always a good idea in the woods, you know, having someone else with you. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And you know, when you out there, like I said, be careful. 
Um, it, it's a different perspective when a lion is running away from you as opposed to a lion charging you. You have a different outlook on on these things. And I know in your situation, I, I use a lion as an example, but you know when you see these creatures fleeing or making their way to the exit, it doesn't seem that intimidating. Uh, but it's a whole yeah. different story when they turn around, they come back, and they're not looking to exit. They're not looking to leave. Um, oh, yeah. and, and it becomes a major, major problem. And, you know, if you run into them again, treat it like you would a grizzly bear or a black bear. Um, just be cautious and, you know, slowly back out of the area is the only advice I would give you. Um, shoot if you have to. Um, don't hesitate to shoot if you have to. Yeah. Uh, but I think for the most cool. part, I think if you back away, they'll back away, they'll back off. And that's You're, you've heard a my lot opinion. of hunters probably talk about it. Uh, what about with lions? You're not supposed to look them in the eye because that's perceived as a threat. And so you just kind of look at the ground, but you do talk to them, I guess, and back away, like you said. Uh, would uh, would you do that with a Sasquatch? Do you think uh, I would, not look them in the eye with that? If I was face-to-face with one, I would probably do whatever I could to back out of the situation and not initiate a fight. Because I think the moment you fire off a shot, um, you're in bed with it at that point. You're going to have to kill that thing at this point. Whether it kills you or you kill it, you're in bed with it. The moment you pull that trigger, you're in bed with it. and You have to finish the game. Um, I think if I were to run into one, I would probably, I'd try and get video of it, but, um, I say that, but you know, that might be a different story. Once, once you're, when you come face to face with these things, everyone's a hero until you come face to face with them. And then all of a sudden no one's a hero anymore. Um, but honestly, I would, I would probably back away. I would treat it the same way I would a grizzly bear. I'd probably quietly try and move out of the situation, remove myself from the situation if I came face to face with them again, um, because from doing this show, I can tell you and talking to a lot of witnesses, the, the behavior is kind of across the board. Sometimes they'll exit. Sometimes they'll leave. Um, sometimes they won't. Sometimes they, they, they will push and push and push. And I do think people do get killed by these things. And I think the, the people who generally get killed by these things are hunters and hikers. Hunters, I think, run into these things. And I think that these creatures are out doing the exact same thing as the hunters. They're getting food They're, Um, and so there's kind of this altercation that generally happens with hunters, uh, because you don't want this thing in the area. It doesn't really want you in the area and you guys are both competing for the same food. And so I think that's why there's a lot, a lot of, uh, altercations with hunters and these things. Uh, but to answer your question, I would try and back away like I would a grizzly bear. I would try and avoid the avoid the fight at all at all costs. Good advice. <laughs> yeah, and you know, like I said, never go alone. You know, and you'll have to keep me up to date as far as what happens out there uh, with you guys hunting in the area. I'm curious if um, I, I don't know that you saw an older one. I've had reports of them being gray, and I'll ask that specific question. Do you feel like it was an older creature and um, nine times out of 10 people will say, no, I, I felt like it was, this thing was ripped out like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, it didn't yeah. appear to oh, be, this was. yeah, it didn't yeah. appear to be Very old and brittle. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Wow. Okay. <laughs> but you'll have to keep me up to date. Let me know if anything else happens out there. Will you, Doug? I sure will. Yeah. Thanks so much for taking the time. No, Let thank you for coming this, on. Get this off my chest. Yeah. Feels good. 
No, no. Thank you for coming on. I, I really appreciate it. All right. You have a good one. You too. And that's it for tonight, everyone. Remember, if you've had an encounter, shoot me an email. My email address is wes at sasquatchchronicles.com. Until next time, everyone. Something to eat something that quite